Thank you very much, Irene and Holly, for ministering in music. In light of the message of the song, we need to keep in mind that we are aliens and strangers here as believers. This isn't our home. We're passing through, looking for something better and an eternity with the Lord. Until that time, we want to be faithful. And Lorraine, I would like to say just a word to you. Thank you for bringing your family this morning uh, that ministers and has ministered very deeply to me. And if you want to know the reasons, you can ask me later. But thank you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We want to be faithful to you. And as we interact with your word this morning, we want to be hearers and doers of your word. Living in sensitivity with Christ as our life and your spirit at work in us day by day. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you can go back to when you came to faith in Christ, would you sign up, if you want to call it that, to walk with Christ, if you were told that within a couple years of coming to faith in Christ, you're going to be beaten, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to stand before county officials, state officials, and possibly national officials because of your stand for Christ. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be tried. Would you sign up for Christ? Think about that. If you knew that was coming, would you sign up for Christ? In light of what we're discussing from Mark 13 this morning, I would pose a question. In light of the fact that we live in America, does freedom of religion mean freedom from persecution for believers? Does freedom of religion mean freedom from persecution for believers? Just ponder that as we look at the text of Scripture this morning. Let's read together Mark 13, beginning with verse 1, reading through verse 13. Mark chapter 1, and keep in mind as we read through Mark that in Mark 1 through 12, the, the identity... The character, the being of Jesus is revealed so very clearly and strongly. He is the Son of God. And that's stated so very, very clearly. In Mark 11, 12 through 19, Jesus has basically rejected temple worship. And then in Mark 11, 27 through the end of chapter 12, we find Jesus is ministering in the temple, teaching and so on. And then in chapter 13, we find that Jesus and the twelve are leaving the temple. Mark 13 and verse 1. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, 
When will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus answered them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of war, or wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be in your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the abomination that causes desolation and so on, and we'll pick up on that next week. But remember, Jesus is leaving the temple with the twelve, and... What happens? One of the disciples, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And Jesus responds, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. They continue to leave the temple. They go down into the valley. And then they go up to the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives, remember, you can look into the sanctuary of the temple from the Mount of Olives. And it's while in the Mount of Olives, some time passing from when Jesus made the statement, where Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked, tell us when these things will happen. What will be the sign they're about to be fulfilled? And Jesus gives a strong warning. Watch out. Let no one deceive you. And we mentioned last week, you know, many will come in Christ's name claiming I am he. And he says such things will happen. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes, famines, He says, these are the beginning of birth pains. He also says to them, you must be in your guard. You must be alert. Why? Because you'll be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, that is Christ, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. He also says the gospel must be preached to all nations. And one of the ways that the gospel was preached was because of the persecution that came to the early church. The persecution to their church resulted in their speaking to kings, to governors, going to other nations to share Christ because they were pushed out of their comfort zone. He says also you'll be arrested or be arrested and brought to trial. Would you sign up for Christ if you knew this was what is coming? Four of the twelve ask, tell us what will be, or tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled. And Jesus says, watch out. No kingdom's going to rise against kingdom. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars and so on. And then be on your guard because You're going to be handed over 
The local councils are going to be flogged. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be tried and so on. We want to look at several passages from the book of Acts to see some of this being fulfilled. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Jesus is saying to the 12, here's some things that are going to happen. In the book of Acts, we find them happening. In Acts 4 and verse 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the, num the number of men grew to about 5,000. And then we know that they're before the Sanhedrin. Here they are before the religious people of that day. Look at Acts chapter 5. And again, just glancing at a couple passages briefly. Acts chapter 5 and verse 17. Ananias and Sapphira had died because they lied to the Holy Spirit. The apostles had been healing many. And then in verse 17 of Acts 5. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Go over to Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the med members of the synagogue of the freemen. Skip down to verse 12. So they seized up the people, the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. And then as you read chapter 7, we find that Stephen gives a very powerful message, recalls the history of Israel and Christ. And what happened? Look at Acts 7 and verse 57. At this they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. We know he later came to Christ and became Paul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this charge or this sin rather against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Look at Acts 8 and verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judah and Samaria. So basically what is happening here, the believers were driven out of Jerusalem. Why? Because they were Christ followers. What did they do in verse 4? Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. That's in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 12, we find there that, again, there was some difficulty being faced. 
Acts 12 and verse 1, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. And then we know Peter, you know, got out of prison because of angelic work. In Acts 13, you will find again there was persecution and difficulty. We find the same is true in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. In Acts 14, 19 and 20. Acts 16, 16 through 24. And in Acts 17, 1 through 9. And in Acts 17, 13 through 15. In Acts chapter 19, 23 through 41, there was again persecution and difficulty. Now I have a question. It may sound like a stupid question, but I hope it's one that will challenge us to think. Why were the 12 persecuted? Why were the 12 persecuted? They spoke and they lived. They spoke and they lived. If they had not spoken, there would have been no issues. If they had not lived at their faith, there would have been no problem. But they spoke and they lived because that's what Christ desired of them. The Roman believers to whom I believe Mark was written or possibly written faced persecution. Why? They spoke. They lived. Should we expect to be arrested, brought to trial, and be found guilty? Because we speak for Christ and we live for Christ. Imagine the encouragement of Mark's gospel to the believers in Rome as they're lighting Nero's garden. Joe gets to light Nero's garden tonight because that's Nero's choice. Tomorrow, Albert and Daniel are going to Give some <clears throat> entertainment to Nero as they're thrown to the lions. Chip is going to light Nero's garden tonight along with Mike. They get this letter, this gospel of Mark, and they read about what Jesus says is going to happen to the twelve, and they say, man, this is good stuff. What happened to the twelve is happening to us. Jesus said... It was going to happen. Threats to faith will come through persecution of believers. And Jesus says in verse 9 of Mark 13, you must be on your guard. Perhaps a translation that brings out a little more of the Greek would be, you must be clearing your own minds. You must be clear in your own minds that this following Jesus is going to result in persecution. It's going to be result in the gospel being spread to other parts of the world. I think the point Jesus is making for the 12 is to rid believers of the utopian fantasies and remind them that adversity and persecution 
are not aberrations of the Christian faith, but rather the norm. And we know that the twelve stood before leaders. They were arrested. They were tried. They had to speak and so on. But what is the result of that in verse 10? The gospel must first be preached to all nations. See, the persecution spread people. And it resulted in Christ and the gospel of Christ being shared. The four are asking about what's coming in the future, and Jesus says, well, there's wars and rumors of wars, but be on your guard. You're going to be flogged. You're going to stand before governors so that the gospel of Christ can go out. The radical commitment which a gospel demands can disrupt even families. Look at verse 12. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, because he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now the four are saying, Jesus, what's going to happen with the temple? You say the stones are not going to be left in one another. When's this going to happen? And Jesus says, be in your guard, watch out. Because there's some things that are going to happen, but that's not the end yet. It's the beginning of birth pains. Be in your guard. You're going to be persecuted. And then later on, he talks about the abomination of desolation. But until that time, he says, there's difficulty. And there's going to be family difficulty. Verse 9, be in your guard. Why? Because brother will betray brother to death. Because of the gospel. Brother would betray brother to death. Father would betray his children. Think about that. Father will betray his children. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. This is not so in our country most of the time. But you go to the Middle East and you go to Islamic countries. If you come to faith in Christ, you're signing up basically for persecution and death. Why? Because your family wants you killed now. And they'll betray you. And you can read testimonies that have taken place within the last half year where that became a reality. They claim that 150,000 people are killed because of their faith around the world each year. What Jesus is talking about was going to take place with the twelve, was taking place in the Roman church, was taking place in the early church. And because the abomination, abomination of desolation has not taken place yet, which I think is future and we'll discuss next week, there's still this family struggle 
because of the gospel. In some parts of our country here, and depending on what religious group you belong to, if you come to faith in Christ, you can assume that you'll be alienated from your family because you came to faith in Christ. And Jesus says, be in your guard. Twelve, be in your guard. If it happens, don't be alarmed because I'm telling you, it's going to happen. He goes on, he says, all men will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end, and I think he's, you know, talking about death when a person dies, will be saved. Don't be alarmed. People are going to hate you. Expect it. As you live your faith, as you speak the truth. He says to the 12, that's why you must be on your guard, because if we're not careful, we think coming to Christ means that everything's going to be hunky-dory and God's going to put everything in order. And he says, no, at times it's going to be the opposite. Because you're going one way and other people are going a different direction. Again, stop and ponder the encouragement that this is for the Roman church. Here we are, we're the Roman church. Those of us that are here this morning, we're the Roman church, and Al is no longer with us because he lit Nero's garden. A couple weeks ago, Gene and Joy lost their home and their retirement because of their faith in Christ. The government took it away. Tom was fired from his job because... Uh, he said something about Jesus on the job. And we get together and we say, what in the world is happening to us? We're going through all these problems just because we're following Christ. And the person who is reading, we get to the point that says, on account of, or you'll be flogged in synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses. You'll be brought to trial. You'll be arrested. Brother will betray brother, and so on. And we say, ah, oh, we must be on target. What Jesus said was going to happen is happening. We're being on our guard. We recognize that this is part of living. The 12 were not told to escape. They were not told to protract protest. They were not told to run. They were not told to seek change, but to expect persecution and great struggle. I think sometimes in our country, we have lived with religious freedom for so long that we think we shouldn't have any struggles. Maybe we should expect some floggings, standing before political leaders, being rejected by family at times, and being hated. It seems to me the 12 in the Roman church got into trouble because they were not silent. And they lived out their faith. Most problems. They were just being what God, what Christ had called them to be.
Are we willing to sign up for this type of living? So I have a question. Why would following Christ result in persecution? Why would following Christ result in persecution? I think at least part of the answer is that following Christ is not a call to knowledge or merely an eternity with the Lord, but to radically follow Christ, which impacts daily living. The twelve were being called to follow Christ, which impacted their day-by-day living. And it got them in tons of trouble. Some of you have been through this partially already. And it's happening quite often in our country. If you go to your job and follow Scripture and refuse to do certain things that Scripture tells you not to do, you can get in a ton of trouble. The boss says, lie for me to cover my tracks. And you say, I'm sorry, I can't. I live by a higher calling. Someone comes to you and talks to you about their troubles and their woes, and you in love and genuine compassion point them to Christ. And a coworker hears you, and the coworker goes to the boss and says, I heard Tom talking about Christ on the job, and the boss comes to you and says, I just want you to know you're down here. You don't do that on this place. See, following Christ is not merely eternal. It affects us in the present. And I think that's why the 12 in the Roman church suffered, because it affected their beliefs, their thinking, their attitude and their motives, their words and their actions. That's why the 12 would say in Acts, we got to obey God rather than man. They were being told to shut up. Brubaker paraphrased. Shut up, don't speak about God. Don't speak about Christ. They said, we got to obey God rather than man. God commanded us to speak. Put us in prison, fine. Kill us, fine. That's okay. It affected their life. One's total life is thus contrary to the world. For example, the view of religion think about religion today. See, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. We're related to an eternal God. We're related to Christ. And that's going to get you in trouble. You're talking to some religious person, and they tell you about all the good deeds they do. This happened to me this week. And I had to say, but what about Jesus Christ? It's not God weighing your good and your bad. It's about this person who died and rose from the dead. This man was very religious, but I had to bring him back to Christ. That will get you in trouble sometimes. You're telling me I'm not in the faith because I haven't come through Christ? Well, that can create some barriers. Even today, your view of quote-unquote sex, marriage, and so on can get you in trouble just by merely stating that which is right. View of forgiveness. 
may create some problems, your view of relationships, and we won't go into them this morning. Jesus speaks of persecution for the twelve. The Roman church to whom Mark was possibly written was experiencing persecution. The epistles speak of persecution. And today at times persecution is a reality. Why? People speak and live. Their relationship with Christ influenced their words and their actions. And in some cases, as Jesus said, it creates difficulty. Does freedom of religion mean freedom from persecution for believers? I would say no. Because Christianity is not a religion. We may have freedom to worship the way we want. But there's more to walking with Christ today as it was with the Roman believers, as it was with the twelve, than merely coming together. It was a lifestyle that radically altered the way one lived. Think about what Christ is saying to the twelve. When's this end going to come? When's this temple going to be destroyed? And Jesus says, watch out. Wars, rumors of wars, and so on. But the end isn't yet. Beginning of birth pains. Now be on your guard because you're going to go before religious leaders, you know, banded over to local councils, flogged in the synagogue. You'll stand before governors, kings, and so on. You're going to be hated. But stand firm. He says, that's not a very positive message, Pastor. Well, I'm not speaking my own words. This is what Christ said. The world in which the 11, or 12 rather live, the world in which many believers live today, and to some extent the world in which we live in this country as the Lord continues to tarry. Close with a question. Have you come to faith in the one who radically changes our lives? If not, why not come to faith in Christ today? And if you come to faith in Christ, is Christ radically changing the way you live, the way you speak, moment by moment? And as we think about those questions, we want to sing together, I know whom I have believed. The twelve, the early church, the Roman church, knew whom they have believed, so they were willing to live and to die for Christ. <clears throat>